It's Picture Lock on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Welcome to radio episode 127 of the world famous award winning show. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find movie reviews, all the back episodes, and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. We'll be keeping the run going with filmmakers from the 2019 DC Black Film Festival, which takes place August 15th through 17th at the Miracle Theater and the Mayflower Hotel in Washington, DC. But this weekend, August 1st through 4th, the Black Star Film Festival is taking place in Philadelphia. I'll talk with founder and director of the fest, Maori Holmes, about what you can expect to see and do this weekend. The great part about it is I have Melinda James, cinematographer of Oklahoma is Black on this week as well. Her film will be playing at both Black Star and the DC Black Film Festival. So we killed two pre-fest birds with one interview. And last but not least, I'll talk with Latasha Kennedy, writer-director of One Last Goodbye. And that's all ahead on Picture Lock. Hey everybody, it's Dan Brawley, the chief instigating officer at the Kukaloris Festival. And you're listening to Picture Lock. It's Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. And the Black Star Film Festival is an annual celebration of the visual and storytelling traditions of the African diaspora and of global communities of color, showcasing films by black, brown and indigenous people from around the world. The eighth annual fest takes place this weekend, August 1st through 4th in Philadelphia. I have the festival founder director, Maori Holmes, on the line with me to talk about what we can expect to see. Maori, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you so much. So, Maori, first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Um, that's such an interesting question because I'm not 100% sure. Um, my mother is an artist and uh, I have really early memories of being at the movies and seeing films. I think I didn't understand that it was an important, you know, kind of art form until high school um, when we were going to see a lot of, for some reason in that moment, we were like seeing a lot of Merchant Ivory and, you know, it's like the golden age of Miramax. We were seeing a mm-hmm. lot of those kinds of films in the theaters. And mm-hmm. so I remember going, oh, this is serious. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say I fell in love even then, though. I don't think I really, really understood it. Um, but I did fall in love with photography first. And um, then, you know, kind of continued to pursue what I thought was journalism. I thought I was going to kind of go into documentary making. And um, then sort of all of those films that I had absorbed um, in my teens kind of converged at a certain point. So somewhere in the teenage years. It's a long-winded answer. <laughs> That's all right. I got you. So if you could, uh, just before we jump into what we can expect to see, you know, set us up from the, the teenager that was watching all these Miramax films uh, to the founder of the Black Star Film Fest. If you could, give us a little background on why you decide, decided to start the film festival. Sure. Um, so I ended up studying film in grad school. I was looking for a way to bring all of my interests together. And I'd long had, you know, a visual arts practice um, and was interested in fashion and worked in the music industry and like how all of these different like pieces of myself and film seemed like the most holistic way to bring all of these elements together. And so I decided to go to film school for grad school. And that's how I came to Philadelphia. Temple offered me a full ride. And so I, I moved to Philly. I had not been here before. 
Um, and that was kind of the beginning of that. Um, and then after graduate school, I had a feature film on the market and went to, you know, a lot of festivals as one does and had really amazing experiences meeting other filmmakers and just kind of finding this whole other world out there that I didn't even know about um, with like the film festival circuit and Mm -hmm. um, also finding museums with film programs and just, you know, this whole sort of other field. And I wanted to create something like that for myself. Um, Not for myself, but I wanted to create something like that back in Philly because at the time I had decided to stay because I'd fallen in love and my partner was here. So um, I decided to start a film festival. This was back in 2007. Um, And that initial festival was a celebration of women in film and music um, because I had all these relationships in the music industry and kind of just coalesced that we were realizing women had problems with representation and agency in both spaces. Um, And so I started that festival in 2007 with two other women. And, um, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know how much work it was going to be. Uh, But I got the bug, you know, like I really, I thought I was good at it. You know, we had a lot of people come out and it was wonderful experience in some ways. It was really hard in others. Um, But that kind of let me know I could do it. We did the festival for two years and then I started programming um, around after that. So people would invite me to do things. And so to really speed up the Black Star, um, I had moved away from Philadelphia and I'd come back again and I wanted to kind of, in my mind, have something that I was doing that was, I didn't use the word important, but I definitely wanted to do something meaningful now that I had returned to the city. And so um, I started a film and social justice film series and the person that I was programming that with wanted to take the summer off. And so I started on a program that became Black Star. I thought it was a one-time thing, and all of a sudden, it was a festival. <laughs> and that was by accident. Because I, after the previous festival experience, I was like, I'm never doing that again. It's too much work. Um, but I had a festival on my hands. Nice. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Picture Lock. I'm talking with the founder and director of the Black Star Film Festival, Maori Holmes. Maori, if you could, you know, like you said, it started out as a one-time thing, and eight years later, here we are. So if you could go ahead and let us know, what are some of the highlights that we can expect to see this weekend? Sure. Um, So we have 115 films this year, which is more than we've ever had. I think there are about 25 features, and then the rest are shorts programs. And um, in that, we have um, films from 28 different countries. Um, We have work in all genres, uh, narrative, documentary, experimental. Uh, We have a youth program uh, with films made by folks between the ages of 11 to 22. And then we also have um, a number of panels and workshops. I'm really excited to have conversation between Spike Lee and Tarana Burke looking at Do the Right Thing 30 years later. Uh, we have a sneak preview of a docu-series that's executive produced by Black Thought and Questlove from The Roots. We have a screening of Solange Knowles' extended director's cut of When I Get Home. And then we have um, just some other really beautiful programs. Blitz Bazawale, who is the director of The Burial of Kojo, which we are showing, is doing a special directing workshop where he's going to walk us through the storyboards that he hand-drew for the film. Um, And then our opening night film is by Numa Perrier, uh, Jezebel, which has been, you know, doing really well since it um, premiered at South by Southwest. 
um, you know, we just, I mean, it's so hard for like everyone to see everything. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but you know, no, and, and that yeah. totally makes a lot of sense, especially, uh, you know, if you have a hand in programming. Um, but one of the things that I'm thinking, you know, uh, it sounds like you guys have so many great things going on. How would you suggest that folks that want to come out and check it, uh, check it out, just digest everything? Uh, you know, should we go to your website? Do you have an app as so many film festivals seem to have these days? Um, how can people kind of start to pick out the films and events that they want to go to? Yeah, well, we don't have an app, unfortunately, um, but we do have a mobile friendly website and um, on there, you can see the schedule on one page, and there's also um, a, a, like a PDF that you can download and kind of keep track of everything. Um, this is the first year where we really, really probably needed an app because there's so, so much competing programming. And so, you know, I really, I think a lot of people treat this weekend um, as an intensive, you know, and they come and they plan to go to everything and kind of have like a nonstop, you know, experience. Yeah. Um, and this is going to be the first year where people have to make really hard choices, even in that nonstop experience. But, you know, our website, um, it's blackstarfest.org forward slash schedule. That has everything. So you can kind of see what's happening concurrently. If people want to go by the films themselves, they can go to the same website forward slash films and see the individual titles if they want to kind of build their program in that way. Um, but yeah, there's, there's quite a lot of programming. I think we have about 50 programs over the four days. Yeah, most definitely. And, uh, if you could, let's talk a little bit about your luminary award to Marcia Smith. Yes. Yeah. So, um, almost every year we didn't give one last year, but we, um, since our second year of the festival, we've been giving out, uh, luminary awards you know, just as an honor, you know, it's a celebration. And so you think about honoring people. And um, this year, the program committee was, you know, thinking about folks, you know, we always kind of keep a short list and think about people the previous year. And um, I think at IDA last year, a number of us were just like, you know, we really should honor Marsha. And she was first for so many of us, like right away. And we all agreed like immediately, um, because she's, I think, kind of like, one of the like quiet power, you know, like she's behind the scenes in a way that a lot of people wouldn't know who she is unless they've worked with her directly. Um, mm-hmm. But she's mentored so many, she's produced so much of what we've consumed and she's definitely the force behind what Firelight has become, you know, as this like com- essential resource for um, filmmakers of color, um, particularly independent ones. And so we just thought this is the space to uphold um, people who are upholding everyone else. It's Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the founder, director of the Black Star Film Festival, Maori Holmes. Maori, as we kind of wrap out here, I got one one final question for you. You know, uh, as the director of the film festival, and I know you probably don't really want to say this because you don't want to, quote unquote, have favoritism, but like, what's that one film that you feel the most challenged by this year that you're just like, oh man, this is a, this is a good one? Um... <laughs> Well, I'm going to cheat, and I'm going to say that there's a program um, of shorts that I think is not to be missed, and that's Shorts Program 10. Um, that has worked by Sophia Nolly Allison, Garrett Bradley, uh, Charlotte Brathwaite. Like, it, it just has work in that section that all of those films have are challenging in really good ways, um, and I, I think it's definitely a program not to be missed and is really emblematic of 
what Black Star is trying to do kind of politically and aesthetically. Awesome. If you could, once again, how can folks uh, find information on tickets, follow you guys on social media, etc.? Um, sure. So our website is blackstarfest.org. Um, all of our tickets can be found right on that website, forward slash tickets. I really encourage people to buy passes so you can consume everything and, you know, get advanced in line to do so. Um, and then individual tickets can be purchased online. We uh, most can be purchased online and then in person, um, primarily walk up, although um, some of the venues can be done in advance. Uh, and then our social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all of those at Black Star Fest. Founder director of the Black Star Film Festival, Mary Holmes, thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thank you so much for having me. Many independent filmmakers find themselves in the difficult position of not only bringing their film into fruition, but getting it in front of the public to be seen on their own as well. So how do you build a community and develop a marketing strategy for your film when you are the PR and marketing team? Based on years of experience, filmmaker, film critic, film publicist, and festival director Kevin Sampson offers practical advice in Army of One, PR and marketing for the indie filmmaker. Taking readers through best practices in setting up your film to engage the public and market it from pre-production to post-production. Find out how to Start building your community and create sustained engagement in pre-production. Develop and administer a social media marketing strategy that you can keep up with by yourself. Create and assemble behind-the-scenes media through the stages of production to use with your film's marketing. Attract film critics to review your work through your website, email, and in-person interactions. Navigate the film festival circuit in a way that doesn't break the bank. If you've ever felt overwhelmed by the do-it-yourself nature of independent filmmaking, this book is for you. Available now on Amazon. Hey, everybody. This is Jody Gomes. I'm a director and executive producer of the magnificent film One Child Left Behind, The Untold Atlanta Cheating Scandal, and you are listening to the infamous Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson, and Oklahoma is Black is a portrait of Black life on the northeast side of Oklahoma City. I have the film's director and cinematographer, Melinda James, on the line. Melinda, welcome to Picture Lock. Hi, Kevin. Thank you, and thank you for having me. What's up, Melinda? <laughs> it's my pleasure. <laughs> uh, Melinda, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Um, I, I, I'm kind of a late bloomer when it comes to film. I, it wasn't something that I grew up with as a, as a kid. Um, I, I probably didn't really understand like films and filmmaking until much later, probably when I was in my, um, I'd say early twenties and I took a, a 16 week kind of community intro to filmmaking workshop. And it was through there that I discovered that, oh, I, I like this process of, of making films, and particularly I like um, the cinematography aspect of it. It's really interesting because uh, the cinematography is something that we definitely have to talk about within this film. Uh, but was there, was there ever a, a, a particular film that just jumped out at you and just said, you know what, I want to do stuff like that? 
Um, it'd probably have to be one of the earliest films that I remember is something that I watched in high school, even though I don't think I really understood it, but that was Raising Victor Vargas. It was the first time that I saw a film that wasn't necessarily what you would see in theaters. Um, I just remember that I really liked the character development. I really liked the storyline. and But I didn't know, I think a friend recommended it to me, and I wasn't sure how to find more films like that and I kind of watched it and I had some thoughts and then I kind of went on to being a teenager um but but then the next film that really stood out to me and it wasn't the first time that I watched it but it was like the second time that I watched it is uh Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love um that really showed me how yeah. movies can come together yeah nice. on so many different levels from art direction costume uh acting cinematography location everything yeah yeah that is really cool and uh just the one car why um that in and of itself kind of informs in terms of cinematography and look and feel and uh emotion man i want to jump into the film but if if you could really quickly kind of like how did you uh get started in in the industry it's <laughs> Yeah, I would say probably the um, the rise or the invention of the DSLR that included video. Um, that's kind of, I mean, I remember I had a Canon T2i. I sold an old 35-millimeter camera and uh, my, my camera that recorded mini DVs to get it. And um, I would take that camera around because it was really small and just record a bunch of stuff, mostly with my friends, and then I'd have all this footage, so then I'd have to learn how to edit it, and I would just put it online, and I would add music to it, and it kind of got me some music video gigs for indie musicians. And from there, um, I would say it kind of opened up doors to, I think, doing other kind of projects, and eventually led me to my first kind of big full-time position, which was at GoPro, where I was an editor, and by the end of that, I was also kind of shooting stuff for them. And then I went to Pandora, where, again, I started off as an editor, camera operator, and then um, eventually became, like, their cinematographer for their social media content. And now um, I'm a freelancer, mostly as a cinematographer, sometimes as a, as a director. But that was kind of my rough trajectory. <laughs> Hey, everybody has to have some kind of start and jumping in point. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking with the director and cinematographer of the film Oklahoma is Black. It's going to be um, playing during our third annual Making Black Lives Matter through film, film Block at the D.C. Black Film Festival Friday, August 16th at the Miracle Theater. Uh, Melinda, if you could, let's talk about Oklahoma is Black. Um, one of the things that I love about uh, certain films and certain short films is that they can speak to you just on this almost spiritual level, if if, if you will. Um, and I think that Oklahoma is Black does that, right? It's beautiful black and white, and it's just giving us snapshots of uh, the people of Oklahoma City. And uh, not only that is it giving us uh, these portraits of these people, it's also the different things that are going on. And so I wonder, you know, what made you decide that you wanted to uh, shoot this? And then also, um, what were you hoping that audiences would take away from seeing it? Yeah, so this, this project came about actually through my good friend, Tatiana Fazalizadeh. 
who is a, an oil painter. She's just she's a visual artist, and she works in many different mediums. One of them is oil painting. Another one is wheat pasting. Um, I think most folks most folks folks know her for uh, um, her "Stop Telling Women to Smile" project, street art project. And she's from Oklahoma City. She lives in New York right now. And I think like two summers ago, she asked if I wanted to be involved in this project um, where she's doing her first solo exhibition in Oklahoma City, where she's from. And she was telling me it's kind of born out of this question that she would get when she would tell folks, oh, I'm from Oklahoma City, people would ask her, oh, there there are black people in Oklahoma, there are black people in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yes, yes, there are in Oklahoma and Oklahoma City has a rich history um, for black folks and around civil rights and, and things like that. So she wanted to include, alongside her wheat paste, alongside her oil paintings, um, these, uh, a video installation por- portion. And I, don't, I didn't know anything about Oklahoma, really, or about Oklahoma City. So I thought it would also be um, an interesting way to learn about the city and also learn more about my friend and where she where she comes from. So she just showed me these these series of photographs that she took the last time she visited of her friends, of her family, of people that she met while she was there. And they're all black and white. And there were these short video clips, like Instagram clips, but they were enough to, to let me know a particular mood or a particular feeling. And, and I kind of took that idea visually and the rest I just, was kind of open to. I wanted to see uh, Oklahoma City from from her viewpoint, so I didn't really go in with any of my own ideas or or preconceptions. Um, I was just kind of open to it all. And what you see in the film, um, you see a lot of her family members. You see um, places that she frequented when she grew up, establishments that are no longer there or establishments that are still there, uh, folks that we just kind of ran into, um, yeah, and it's just kind of like a, a collection of these portraits, both with people and both of the environment. You know, as a cinematographer, the use of black and white, sometimes it's done well, sometimes not so much. I think some people sure. try to use yeah. it as a gimmick, but I think here it's done really well, right? Because the lack of color helps you to focus in on the image that you're seeing. And so I, I'm wondering what the thought process, obviously you said in talking with Tatiana that, or the the photos that she showed you, they were already black and white. And so it kind of, you know, helped you in, in the mood. But um, still there there came a decision where you're like, hey, we're, we're, we're shooting this. It was in color that we're going to turn it to black and white. What was the thought process behind it? And how do you think it helps to accentuate the story? Yeah. I I love color. I typically the only time I'm really shooting anything in black and white is when I'm doing my film photography, like stills. But Tatiana showed me the the images in black and white, and there was a particular richness to it. And her exhibition was called Oklahoma is Black, and I just yeah I just felt like the project would be better, the film would be better in black and white and. And what I appreciate about black and white when it's done well is you, you're taking away the color and oftentimes color can be, I think, a distraction. Um, and black and white really just gets you to focus in on the image that you're seeing 
you're not having to process color and you're just seeing something for its tone and its richness. And I think it also kind of ties into to the title where you're just seeing things as in the world of like black and white, but also you have your, your grays. But um, when I was color grading it, I really wanted to accentuate the contrast, the richness of the blacks to, again, you know, we're, we're dealing with black people and, and thinking about the way that their, their skin looks or how they look in the light. And I just wanted to emphasize that, that richness there. But typically I don't shoot in black and white, but when I, you know, everything was shot in color and, and in post when I was editing it, when I did apply black and white, it just felt like it was meant to be in black and white. Most definitely. And it's a beautiful film that you should check out. Again, it's playing at 7.31 p.m. on Friday, August 16th at the Miracle Theater uh, during the D.C. Black Film Festival. Um, I've been talking with the director and cinematographer of the film, Oklahoma is Black, Melinda James. Melinda, if you could, for the audience, if they want to keep up with you on social media, find out more about the film, how can they do that? Yay. Um, I'm mostly on Instagram, and my handle is about her film. And my website with my work is melindajamesdp.com. Perfect. Melinda, thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. Thank you, Kevin, for having me. This has been great. I really appreciate it. Hey, this is Giorgio Angelini, the writer, director, producer of Owned, A Tale of Two Americas, and you are listening to Picture Lock. It's Picture Lock on WERA 96.7 FM. I'm Kevin Sampson and rocked by a devastating loss and a pending eviction from the home he shared with his wife, a man struggles to cope and move forward despite his sister's best efforts to help him in the film One Last Goodbye. I have the film's writer, director, producer, and star, Latasha Kennedy on the line. Latasha, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. It's my pleasure. So, Latasha, I have to ask, first question I always start out with is, when did you first fall in love with film? Um, I actually first fell in love with film as a little girl. Um, I grew up in the 90s, so uh, John Singleton and uh, the, uh, so many other filmmakers were, I was really into uh, the work that they were doing. And so Boys in the Hood and Men's to Society, they were all films that really resonated with me, and I learned all the lines um, and, you know, would recite them with my friends. And I didn't really start studying and, um, uh, you know, from a technical perspective until much later, but in terms of storytelling and being uh, attracted to the characters and the ways in which, you know, the stories developed over time. That was something that I was very drawn to as a as a young child. And so as a result, um, you know, my career started as an actor. Yeah, man, this is really interesting because I'm always interested in the origin story because then it kind of informs uh, the film. Um, so if you could, like, let's, let's go from you being a child and, and getting into the craft to actually being a filmmaker. Like, how did you bridge that gap and really get started in the industry? Yeah, so um, I started acting very young. I sort of started out as in dance because I was shy, and so my mother, you know, wanted to help me sort of come out of my shell. Um, but then I got an opportunity to be in a Christmas play, 
And that sort of like just sparked my profound interest in really learning more about what it meant to be an actor and and how to develop technique. Um, and so throughout my entire high school, um, uh, you know, an academic career, I was very, very committed to acting musicals and, um, you know, Shakespeare. I, I sort of studied the entire gamut of, of theater. And then I went off to college and did the same thing, and I was a theater major and had an opportunity to, you know, continue to explore and deepen my understanding of technique and also um, how to direct and write and do lighting. And so, um, but when I, as I matriculated through my professional career as an adult, um, I sort of just fell into film um, at just from opportunities that were afforded to me. And I didn't want to necessarily turn away opportunities just because they weren't in theater. Um, and so as a result, I started to grow in my interest and my love for film. I took a pause maybe three years ago to actually really commit to writing um, because I felt like in order to really be able to tell the stories I wanted to tell, I was going to have to really give myself to the technique of writing in the same way that I did for acting. And so I took about two years to study writing solely. Um, I got acting coach, I'm, I'm sorry, writing coaches to really help me hone in onto developing the hero's journey and all those types of things. And that was sort of the beginning for me of being able to start producing because I wanted to write solely to produce it. If I wrote it, I wanted to see it. So, um, but I didn't want to just write anything and I didn't want to just call myself a black writer. I wanted to be a really good writer, period. So, um, so that's how it started for me and that's how I ended up here. From theater nerd to filmmaker, I'm talking with the writer, director, producer of One Last Goodbye, Latasha Kennedy. Uh, I joke with you on that one, Latasha, because, uh, you know, I was a thespian in high school as well. And then uh, when I went into college, that's when I got behind the camera, just because I realized, like, you can control more of the story and do more of the storytelling uh, for behind the camera, as I'm sure you can relate to. But I'm sure all of, you know, um, your acting uh, over the years and, and just learning all those lessons really helped to inform you as a filmmaker. Obviously, you're also in this film. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into it. One last goodbye, if you could, in your own words, what's the film all about? Well, the film really is an exploration of what happens to a loved one left behind when someone they love uh, dies by suicide. And um, the story was really um, inspired by a loss that I experienced of my own, um, a mentor um, that I care very deeply about, um, died by suicide uh, at the end of 2016. And so um, I was grappling with, you know, her choice. And, but I was also very, um, I was very deeply moved by what might be happening with the husband um, and what his journey might be like, what his new normal may be like. And so that was around the time that I was starting to really study 
um, writing even more. And and I was able to sort of develop this story into um, um, some a, a story about a young African-American man who is really going through it as he, you know, uh, tries to deal with the fact that his wife did die by suicide, but also the fact that there's a lot of things that got that were unresolved, right? So there are financial issues. There's a home that he's being evicted from. So there's all these different things sort of in the aftermath. Um, and I think that we, you know, after the, you know, repass and uh, a couple more phone calls after, you know, we attend someone's funeral, you know, that, that family has to go through, is going through something that we aren't really privy to. And so I sort of wanted to shine the light um, and give a very intimate view of what it might be like for a loss survivor. You know, um, one of the things that you mentioned just a while ago that I think uh, is easy to gloss over is that you said that you don't want to just be a really great um, black writer, but just a great writer. And so I think what you're touching on is just universal storytelling, right? And when you dig really deeply personally, suddenly the film becomes one that is universal. And so I always believe that the more selfish you write, uh, the more universal it actually becomes. And uh, we see that with One Last Goodbye. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always amazed at how sometimes, like, filmmakers, writers can grab a slice of life, right? This is a slice of uh, life for, you know, your lead character and where he is. And, and it just makes us think. It, it, it makes us take some time to think about those that may, may have lost someone. But then also grappling with, like you said, his emotions. Because mm-hmm. life goes on, right? Like just because someone passes doesn't mean that the bill collector is not going to keep knocking. Doesn't mean that the student right. loans, you know, they want their, their money or whatever the case may be. And so uh, we're really able to kind of... Uh, see what this man's experience is. And so one of the questions that I I would like to know is, what has Mm -hmm. the audience reception been to this film so far? Because I'm sure that um, there are plenty of people that can either relate or are moved by the story. Yeah, um, it's been um, a very... um, It's been a very touching response, actually. There have been people who have seen it who themselves are lost survivors. Um, so, you know, they shared um, their story with me in terms of, you know, loved ones that they lost and in a way they felt seen. Um, and then there are other people a lot. I mean, the film overall, you know, really touches also on mental health. And I really loved the idea that we, particularly as a as the black community, we're starting to have this conversation about mental health and um, and the need for under really understanding what it meant to engage in self care. Um, but we weren't talking about the people who have been traumatized by something similar to this, like losing a loved one. And so people who have lost Someone or people who have loved someone who's had a mental health um, issue and they've tried and they've been loving them through that process have also shared, you know, that they felt that they just felt very seen. They felt heard. They felt like this was something that gave them a voice. 
without offending a loved one or, or something like that. And oftentimes people, there's a lot of shame that comes with having lost someone you love to suicide because the person who has, um, who was the, uh, the, the, let's say it's the husband um, who lost his wife, like in, in One Last Goodbye, you know, that person feels some shame. Perhaps there was something I could have done. You know, what signs did I miss? There's all these, like, profound questions that really never leave the person. Um, and so it's been very um, – it's been very – touching to talk to people who have had these types of experiences and who felt like their story was told in a compassionate way, you know, on the screen. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, I mean, we could just talk for a long time. We got to kind of wrap out here. But um, I think one of the things as artists, as filmmakers, that we really um, kind of, and I, I hate to say it, but get a high from, but like, uh, we we appreciate when our work is appreciated, but not only that, but we're making a difference. And so for you, I just wonder, you know, um, how does it feel when you know that born out of tra your own tragedy, this became something I'm sure that was uh, somewhat cathartic. Um, but then also you mm -hmm. see the impact, uh, the ripples in, you know, the, the, the pond that is helping other people as well. Yeah, I mean, Kevin, it's really, that means so much to me. I mean, that's kind of like the best part, right? <laughs> because the journey is hard, man, right? It's right, really, right. really challenging. And I, you know, when I lost the picture and told everyone, they were like, girl, it, that was like a year, you know? <laughs> and I'm thinking, nah, you knew about it for a year, right? Like, right. I had started writing it at the top of 2017. So the journey is so long, and you're not always sure. You don't always know if this is the right thing or if you're saying it right or if you're doing it right, you know. Um, and so to press through and to get to this point and people feel moved, you know, snatching tissues from each other, <laughs> sharing tissues with each other, you know, it's like, oh, I'm sorry to make you cry, but I'm just so glad you love it. You right, know? right, I'm right. So by it. I'm so glad it resonated with you. Um, and I always um, have heard from my coaches and other writers that I, you know, that have mentored me or advised me that if it doesn't move you first, you know, you, you're not done. Mm, mm -hmm. And so I was constantly working on it, <clears throat> excuse me, and, you know, and getting feedback and um, you know, putting it through director labs to just keep Tightening, tightening up the script, you know, before we even shot it. So to be here is exciting. It's thrilling. I'm uber grateful um, for every single opportunity, big and small, for us to be able to share our work, um, you know, with our with uh, audience members and our friends and our family, because it really has been such a long journey. But it was in. I was always keeping in mind that I hope I can help someone heal. I hope I can help someone know that they're not alone. You know, I think right. that um, in the world that we live in in general, there's so much isolation. And, and I just really, and I just really wanted people to know that, you know, they're not alone, that, you know, there is a, is a journey to healing 
that can be long and can be arduous, but it is possible and that that we see you, you know. And so I, I really hope that, um, you know, even our audience at, at BC Black Film Festival is able to, you know, feel that as well. Yeah, most definitely. Mission accomplished. Just wrapping out here. Um, okay. How can people follow you online, follow the film, etc.? Yeah, so you can follow me. Um, I'm always on Instagram at Latasha Kennedy. That's my handle. And um, our website, of our main website for my company is LMK Entertainment grp.com and then uh you can follow the film at one last goodbye film.com perfect writer director producer of one last goodbye latasha kennedy thanks so much for coming on picture lock thank you so much for having me it was great talking to you that's all for this episode i'd like to thank my guests maori holmes melinda james and latasha kennedy for coming on the show Subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcast so you can hear the extended radio versions of the show, catch unlocked episodes, and the Picture Lock PR after show. You don't want to miss the after show conversation I had with Latasha, and I'll be dropping that on Monday. If you're a fan of Alexa skills, just say, Alexa, play Picture Lock podcast, and I'll come right up. Feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well. You're supporting the filmmakers and guests I have on the show by allowing more people to be exposed to the podcast. It's quick, easy, and free, (laughs) and I really appreciate it. You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash Picture Lock Show and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on the website. All music is done by Mike S. The Producer 13. Make sure you follow him on all things social media at Mike S. The Producer, numeral one, numeral three, and hit him up for your music production needs. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson, and until next time, make sure you get those tickets for the DC Black Film Festival, and I hope you stay locked on film. What if you could have a film critic, film festival director, film publicist, and fellow filmmaker guide you with your film's PR and marketing journey from pre-production to post? I'm Kevin Sampson, and my online course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker, does just that. In this course, I'm going to teach you how to set up your film to engage an audience and build a community long before you call action. I'll show you how to approach critics to make them aware of your film like publicists do. And as a director of two film festivals, I won't just teach you hacks and secrets to reduce entry fees, but how you can use the festival circuit to create buzz around your film. I'm a huge supporter of diverse storytelling and film, and I believe the most unique voices come from indie filmmakers. That's who I've supported over the years with my show, Picture Lock, whether on TV or on radio. With as much experience as I've had as an independent filmmaker myself, critic, publicist, and festival director, I realize that most indie filmmakers just need access to the knowledge that big firms provide to achieve success. So in this course, I'm going to demystify some of the process and give you everything I know and a behind the scenes look at the sides of the business you don't always see. So if you're an indie filmmaker that's looking to change the game with your film's PR and marketing, make sure you check out PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Head on over to PRForTheIndieFilmmaker.com and get a free preview of the course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Get your film seen, build community, 
and become an army of one.